All right, welcome aboard to another episode of White Collar Crimes, where we show you the only color that truly matters in the criminal justice system is green. I'm Ryan Horn, your host. As always, it is great to have you aboard. You know, a lot lately we've talked about some scandals in the pharmaceutical industry, medical industry, legal industry, uh, big oil, and that's no different tonight or today, depending on when you're listening to us. We are going to talk about a huge scandal that happened in big oil, and a lot of you listening may remember it, the Enron scandal. And, you know, Enron is probably the biggest company that never actually existed that we found out later. Um, I know personally people that lost money on this scandal back when it happened, and I'm sure some of you listening might remember it as well. Enron was a company... For those of you that aren't familiar with this story, they were based in Houston, Texas, founded by a man by the name of Kenneth Lay. More on him later. And they specialized in electricity, natural gas, oil, even paper production, involved in a lot of different uh, venues. And they would claim at their peak and at their heyday, they would claim revenues of over $100 billion. In fact, Fortune magazine named them America's most innovative company for six consecutive years. You know, little did they know at the time. But as the world would find out, it was all a facade. It was phony. It was built on a phony house of cards. It did not exist, and it was a scam of monumental proportions. But Enron was believed to have started around 1985 as a company called Houston Natural Gas, and... For those of you that might be listening from other countries, because we do have listeners that do join us from other countries, the Houston, Texas area, and Texas in general, that's, you know, that's oil country here in the United States. That is uh, one of the biggest parts that produces oil and natural gas and, and things of that sort, and it's big business in that part of the world. A lot of competition, but for a while, people thought that uh, Enron was pulling ahead of the competition and leading the way, and again, little did they know at the time, That simply was not the case. But in the coming years, after they founded in 1985, they began to merge with some other companies. They began to buy out some of their other companies. And they seemed to be, you know, really a company that was a mover and shaker, had things going on, really uh, climbing the ladder in the oil slash energy industry. And during this time, the COO, Jeffrey Skilling, hired a financier by the name of Andrew Fastow. And he began kind of establishing some limited liability entities and things of that sort to protect their assets. And they say, you know, from what I read, I don't know much about this practice, but they said apparently it was a common practice in the oil and energy industry, even at that time, and, you know, still might even be now. Uh, But this was allowed, and this also allowed them, from what researchers and investigators later found out, it allowed them to transfer some of the liabilities that they did have off the books and maintain a high stock price at the same time and an attractive stock price to investors, you know, because this kept their investment grade high. You know, uh, and again, I'm not a financial advisor, but, you know, you want to make sure when somebody's going to invest in your company that you have a good grade and something that's going to be attractive to other investors. And these practices allowed them to do that. Maybe not entirely legal, but maybe not entirely ethical from, you know, what I was reading and finding out as well. And 
nonetheless this you know was a practice apparently done in this industry but by 2001 people began to get a little suspicious and Arthur Anderson which is the giant accounting firm is I don't know a whole lot about accounting either but from what I understand they are like one of the big five top five largest accounting firms in the United States and they began to discover some in an audit they began to discover some accounting irregularities and a lot of other suspicious activities that Enron was doing and it brought a lot of uh unwanted negative attention to Enron and with this heat coming on them and investors beginning to get nervous Enron quickly filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy protection which at that time was the largest for a company that size that anyone knew of and the stockholders were reported to have lost around 11 billion dollars now not million with an m 11 billion and I do know some people, as I said a little bit ago, I do know people that lost money on Enron through their investments. And, you know, at this time I was working as a county correctional officer at the sheriff's office and I was young and single and, you know, wasn't making a whole lot of money back then. I couldn't afford to invest in anything like Enron. So who knows, had I been able to, I might have. I might have invested in this and ended up losing a lot of money, just like a lot of people that I knew did, because it was a hot thing. It was a popular thing and they seemed to really have it going on. And you know, everybody wants to get in on something, you know, and you get in on it when it's starting out and you can make a fortune. You know, the people that got into Google when they, uh, you know, were coming out or, you know, Facebook or Amazon and on and on. You know, the, if you got in on these industries early, Bitcoin, some of these other hot investments. And when they hit it big, there's people that make a lot of money on that, you know, taking a chance on a startup. But nonetheless, I wasn't able to, but I certainly know a lot of people that that did lose money on this and probably thought they had a good thing going and were set for a long time. And once this was exposed and investors began to get nervous, the natural thing occurred, of course, where their stock price began to plummet. And Enron would now also begin to face some trouble with some criminal convictions and criminal charges being going out to various executives, mostly related to destroying documents related to this audit. Well, why were they wanting to destroy anything? If they, you know, didn't have anything to hide, I'm not sure what they would want to destroy. It's just an audit, right? Well, we would soon to find out that uh, they had a lot of activities that were criminal that they wanted to destroy and keep from being found. Because they were so huge prior to this, they were believed, well, they did at the time, were said to have owned the stadium for the Houston Astros, Enron Field or Enron Park, I can't remember. I I am a St. Louis Cardinals fan, and at this time, the Houston Astros did play in the National League with the Cardinals in the same division, actually, the National League Central Division. And I can remember watching when the Cardinals were on the road. I would, you know, watch a lot of their games, and I can remember them going to, quote, Enron Field at that time. You know, little we know at the time, they didn't actually own this because they were a fake company that really didn't have any type of real money or assets. Now, now I believe it's called Minute Maid Park or Minute Maid Field or something to that effect. And, you know, the Astros actually are no longer in the National League. The Cardinals don't play them that much anymore since they went over to the American League. But, uh, you know, they were thought at that time to have owned that stadium even among tons of other assets, you know, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or if not billions of dollars in assets yet they were thought to have owned that they simply did not. And 
this audit by Arthur Anderson showed that they were discovered to have had multiple illegal and deceptive accounting practices, basically operating a giant Ponzi scheme, as, as investigators called it. And, you know, again, for those of you that might be listening for the first time and you may not know, you may have heard of Ponzi scam, you may not really be sure what it is. We've discussed that multiple times on this show because it's one of the most common forms of white collar crime. It is, we've done a, I've done a podcast on Charles Ponzi himself, the man that founded this scam. And what a Ponzi scam is, is you get investors to come in and drop their money and you promise to invest it on the next great thing or whatever, and you promise to make them a lot of money. Usually Ponzi schemes will promise ridiculously high, you know, I'll double your money in 30 days or, you know, triple it in 60 days, you know, on and on. And again, that saying, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Well, that certainly applies to Ponzi schemes, but, you know, people fall for them over and over again. And what you do when people put, trust you with that money, again, just like another element of white collar crime, there's that element of trust that's broken. But when you get their money, rather than invest it, you keep it on yourself and live a lavish lifestyle. Uh, Bernie Madoff pulled off the biggest Ponzi scheme in American history. You know, billions and billions of dollars. And it will work for a long time. Bernie pulled off his Ponzi scam for decades before anything finally came down around him. But what you, almost always happens when these Ponzi schemes fail is when people start asking for their money back. And you might be able to pay back some of the money you have from some of the original investors, but eventually you run out of money because you don't have new money coming in. Once people stop putting money into your scam and you no longer have money to pay back anybody, then it gets kind of hairy and a little difficult situation. And that's usually when the gig is up. When you don't have money to pay back people who want their money, that's when they find out that, you know, you didn't invest it, you've, you know, scammed them. And that's a Ponzi scheme. And despite it being around and recognized by Charles Ponzi over a hundred years ago, it's, you know, still one of the most common scams that's done in white collar crime and in the financial industry. And, you know, again, as long as you got new investors coming in and people not asking for their money, you can pull it off for a long time. But eventually, you know, people get suspicious and, you know, people start asking for their money back or they get nervous and, you know, everything gets brought up to light. So what about the people behind the scam of Enron? Kenneth Lay, as we said before, he was a man that actually came from some humble beginnings in rural Missouri and would later earn a Ph.D. and quickly climb the corporate ladder in the energy industry. And he was said to be active in politics. He was very good friends with the uh, Bush family. And again, those of you who might be listening from another country, I'm talking about the Bush family that, you know, produced two presidents here in the United States, George H.W. Bush and more recently, George W. Bush. And they were big in the oil industry as well, that family was, and they were good friends with, with Mr. Lay. And it was said, actually, that George W., when he was president, and he was president during this time when Enron happened, he, uh, he considered actually making Lay the Secretary of Energy, believe it or not. Imagine that, you know, what could have happened if that would have ever, you know, come to fruition. But he, uh, he kept his bread buttered on both sides, as they say. I mean, he did donate, from what they later discovered, about 27% or so of his money to, uh, to Democrats as well. He made sure he had, you know, had his back covered on, you know, on both sides. And once Enron went under, though, and Mr. Lay was indicted, and he actually got indicted on 11 counts of securities fraud, wire fraud, 
and making false statements and misleading statements, his world as well as the world of Enron came crashing down. Now, Mr. Lay contested the charges, but ultimately he was convicted of 10 of these 11 accounts, six apparently by a jury trial, four by a bench trial, which is a trial held by a judge only. And this is all the way up to now we're getting in 2006. So this has crashed and, you know, been brought to light and it no longer exists and people are recovering from the fallout. But at this point, all you know, after a lengthy process of criminal proceedings and a trial, Mr. Lay is, as I said, convicted on all these charges. And he gets his sentencing scheduled for later in the year in 2006, in the fall. However... Mr. Lay died, well, supposedly, I believe, vacationing with his family on July 5th of 2006, just a couple few months before he was actually scheduled, I believe it was maybe in September or October, he was scheduled to find his fate and, and be sentenced. But before that could happen, he died. And he did, you know, escape justice, in a sense. He did still have friends that remained loyal to them, and supposedly, speaking of the Bush family, the elder Bush president, George H.W. Bush, supposedly attended Mr. Lay's uh, funeral. Now, Jeffrey Skilling, who, you know, was also one of the big shots, COO of, of Enron, and, you know, compatriot there of Mr. Lay, he was sentenced to 24 years in prison, you know, which... For white-collar crime is a, a pretty hefty sentence. We don't see that very much, you know, other than Madoff, you know, who died in prison, and, you know, some others that we've discussed. Uh, Stuart Parnell from the Peanut Corporation of America, he spent a pretty lengthy time in prison, or got a pretty lengthy sentence. He'll pretty much die in prison. But the overwhelming majority of them, if they get any punishment at all, it's usually a very light sentence. But he did get that. And he got a... Again, a 24-year a prison sentence. But in 2013, the Justice Department worked out a deal with him, and they reduced his sentence to 14 years. And he served 12 years of those, and he was released just a few years ago in 2019. Now, Skilling, like a lot of others in Enron, sold off his stock prior to the crash and when everything came crashing down for Enron and made a huge profit, which, you know, alienated and infuriated a lot in the public because that's, again, kind of what's known as a pump-and-dump scheme. You've heard that as well, where and, and Enron was really kind of that, too. As much as they were a Ponzi scheme, they were really a pump-and-dump scheme as well, where a company will inflate their numbers and, you know, grossly exaggerate themselves and get a lot of people to pour their money into the stock and raise the value of the stock price really high. And then prior to when things come crashing down, they all sell off their stocks and make a huge fortune. It's uh, it's illegal, but it, it is very hard to prove, you know, because you got to prove intent in a lot of things with this. And that's where it gets a little tricky on that. But, you know, Enron, in my opinion, was not only a Ponzi scheme, but it really was as well a pump and dump scheme. And, you know, the arrogance of these guys never ceased to amaze people. You know, there were uh, phone call conversations from Lay and Skilling and some of these other ones that were played during the trial showing how they laughed and looked down on the common folk and the suckers that they were scamming. Just, you know, the arrogance was just beyond, you know, imaginable. But that is 
very common among these type of white collar criminals, you know, and they also deny responsibility or minimize it. And that was certainly the case with these guys, but their victims were not so lucky. And rumor has it actually that uh, Skilling has plans to maybe launch another energy company where he'll have the money for that or, you know, the ability to do that. I'm sure he'll have to work behind the scenes. I'm sure as a convicted felon, he would not, you know, be able to get a lot of the licensing and things he may need. But, you know, like I say about a lot of these, I'm sure we haven't heard the last of him either. You know, it's 2022, so he's been out for a few years. I can't say I've heard his name in the news or anything like that. So most likely he probably is working behind the scenes or something like that. But, you know, what about all the thousands of employees that lost their livelihood? And, you know, Enron was thought to be a big company, and they did. They employed thousands of people, you know, and jobs that people probably thought were career jobs with, you know, good pay, good benefit. You know, oil industry, you know, most jobs in the oil industry, I would say, are, are pretty decent jobs. They're jobs you can, you know, support a family on. They're jobs you would think would be stable and going to be around for a long period of time. But, sadly, these people found out that wasn't the case and they were working for all along a fake phony illegal company you know now these employees you can't blame they didn't know what was going on behind the scenes i would say at least not the rank and file level employees didn't but you know they lost their livelihoods and their families had to suffer which again the suffering that falls out from white collar crime is always more than people know it's not just a lot of times the you know, initial victim, it's their families and, and on down the road that suffer from this. And, you know, again, what about the investors? I know people that lost money on this and, you know, as we heard earlier on the show, $11 billion worth of uh, loss for people that invested in this. You know, there's people that probably maybe just bought a few shares that they could afford. Like I said, back then I couldn't afford anything like that, but, you know, uh, there's people that I do know that invested a decent amount of money in it and, you know, lost several thousand dollars out of it. And there's probably people that were higher up and bigger investors that lost millions from this. They had to, you know, with $11 billion being lost, there had to be an untold amount of people that, that lost a lot, you know. So people lost jobs and they lost their hard-earned invested money. And Skilling went to prison, but not as long as he was originally sentenced for. And He's out today where he can start another Enron if he wants. Mr. Lay, he died before he could actually face uh, the music for what he did and, and to do any crime. And who knows? I Honestly, I think, you know, he uh, if he would have lived, uh, George W. Bush might have pardoned him even, you know, with the connections he had with that family. But who knows? Um, but nonetheless, he, he certainly didn't pay the price for what he did. But it's interesting how some of them operate and how they just see you know, their employees and their investors and people as commodities. And it was a famous quote that Skilling had. He said that people, that money and fear are all that really motivate people. I don't agree with that, but that's the mindset that a lot of these folks do have, sadly enough, you know, and it's an all or nothing type way they approach life. And, you know, when things were going great, you know, when he thought, he had everybody fooled with Enron. He was, you know, probably living, you know, the high life, as they say, just living, you know, uh, the life of a rock star, you know, and a multi, multi-millionaire or billionaire even. But as we found out later, not the case, all fake and phony. But, you know, he made his mark and lived a good life for as long as he could scam people. And they did for, you know, quite a while. You know, Enron was thought to be the, the big thing out there. And we found out later they were a fake company. They grossly exaggerated their earnings and their assets and and on and on and you know they were just a 
largely inflated fake companies. You know, it's just really hard to imagine now that we're 20 years or so past all of this time that, that this happened, but it did. And who knows, it may end up happening again. You know, the, the next Enron scandal and scam is just right around the corner that any one of us that I or you or anyone listening to could fall prey to. So it's why we got to keep an eye out for each other and look out for each other. And, you know, that's what we do on this show. We try to expose these type of cases and crimes and give white collar crime some attention. It doesn't get attention from the news media. And I can tell you even from teaching criminal justice in the academic level, it even doesn't get the attention I think it should, but that's what we hope to do here. And, uh, Hope to educate people on that and, you know, also encourage you to adopt your next best friend at your local pet shelter. Um, we always appreciate you tuning into this show. We ask you to like us on Facebook, White Collar Crimes. Uh, we ask you to, you know, if you got an idea, you can email me at uh, ryanhornvt at gmail.com. If you got an idea or you even want to be on the show, we also, uh, you know, you can uh, message me on our Anchor page, Anchor FM. That's the host site for this podcast and you can join up and ask if uh you know ask for an idea that you want us to talk about and you can even donate money we will take that if you like there is a section on there where you can donate money but as i always say most importantly we appreciate having you tune in each and every week to us and we have every tuesday night we put out new shows now um the week of easter we will not be having a show uh it's you know holy week church services a lot of going on for my family and I know a lot of yours and so there's you know a lot of things going on that week so we will not have a show that week but we will be back soon after that and we've got some more episodes coming up going to have one up uh on uh Mr. Avenatti the attorney that was the rock star attorney from a few years ago that went to prison recently for defrauding Nike and some other clients going to do an episode on him coming up so hope you can tune in for that And we appreciate you tuning in to this one, folks, and uh, take care. God bless. We will see you here very soon.